When it comes to the mysteries of our faith, one of the more intimidating mysteries has to be the transfiguration from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17. I mean, I think we're all familiar with the basic plot, right? And so Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountaintop, and he's transfigured before them. His face shines like the sun, and his clothes become dazzling white. And he appears in the presence of two Old Testament figures, Moses and Elijah. And from the heavens, the Father cries out, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. And so again, the basic plot is relatively straightforward. But still, it kind of begs the question, what's the point? What's the point of it all? While the risk of sounding is somewhat reductive, perhaps one way to make the transfiguration a little more accessible and a little more practical even, is to focus on two words, revelation and consolation. So with regards to that first word, revelation, basically the mystery of the transfiguration reveals who Jesus ultimately is. And so first of all, there's this idea that clearly he's a son of God, right? Hence the Father in heaven saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. But then secondly, on top of that, he is truly the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the fulfillment of everything which has come before. Through him, the Father has truly spoken everything he's wanted to say to the world and in particular to the holy people of God. But more to the point, this whole episode speaks to the notion of consolation. And so as a matter of background, Jesus Christ knows that the crucifixion is just around the corner. And with it, the corresponding temptation for the disciples to completely scatter. Because, of course, the Messiah isn't simply going to be killed, but instead he's going to be tortured, first of all, by his enemies. He's seemingly going to be destroyed by the forces of evil, and then he's going to die this horrific death on the cross. And the disciples, they're going to see all this. And so given all that, Jesus gives them this moment of tremendous consolation, a foretaste of the heavenly kingdom, clarity that truly he is the Son of God and the Messiah. As if to say to them that even though the immediate future will bear all sorts of suffering and pain and death, if you hold on, if you continue to believe in me and believe in the Father, all things will be new in the fullness of time. But, you know, quite apart from the historical significance of the transfiguration, I want to kind of bring it home to kind of make it more practical for us living on the ground level. Because if you think about it, sometimes, many times, we only pay really close attention to our faith in moments of strife, when things are difficult, when things are challenging. Whereas in reality, there's really important things we have to do, even in moments of spiritual consolation. And so St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, he talks about this with regards to spiritual consolation. And so the whole idea is that when you find yourself in moments of spiritual consolation, which might be defined as a certain uplifting movement of the hearts, which affects our faith and our relationship with God, we're actually called to do two things in particular. And so right off the bat, St. Ignatius says that when we find ourselves in moments of spiritual consolation, we're called first and foremost to humble ourselves. To recognize that this particular moment, this moment of consolation, is very much a grace and a gift. Completely unmerited, completely unearned, but given to us all the same. Simply because God is love and God is good. But secondly, Ignatius says that we're called to draw strength from the moments. To draw strength from these moments of spiritual consolation. Mindful of the fact that darkness is close in the form of spiritual desolation. A certain heaviness of heart which unduly affects our life of faith and our relationship with God. And you see, practically speaking, what this means is that as you're going about your life and you're going about your day, when you encounter these moments of spiritual consolation, these fleeting moments of spiritual consolation, don't let these moments fall to the ground, but instead receive them as precious gifts given to you by your Father in heaven. And again, more to the point, savor these moments, treasure these moments, taste and see that the Lord is good in the sense of staying in the moment, lingering in the moment, savor those different thoughts that correspond to the moments. Thoughts like, God is real, God is good, God is my Father, and God truly loves me. Mindful of the fact that, again, darkness is just around the corner. 
And you'll truly need in those moments of spiritual desolation to draw heavily on these memories and experiences of spiritual consolation to help you get through the tough times. Okay, now that said, I want to kind of qualify things a little bit here. Because a lot of times when we look for moments of spiritual consolation in our lives, we look simply for moments that are devoid of suffering and pain, at least relatively speaking. Whereas in reality, if you look back in your life, and even if you look back on the previous day, and you're truly open to the workings and grace of the Holy Spirit, perhaps you might realize in retrospect that, especially in those moments of difficulty and strife, the Lord is giving you really precious moments of spiritual consolation. And so the example that comes to mind is this really terrific film, this animated movie, made by Pixar Studios called Inside Out. And so as a matter of background, the lead character in this film is this little girl named Riley. And at the beginning of the movie, she's moved from her beloved Minnesota to San Francisco, I believe. And the reason why the movie is called Inside Out is because in Riley's head are all these different emotions, each of whom has basically been personified in terms of being a particular character. And it just so happens that each of these different characters corresponds with a particular color. So for example, joy is yellow and sadness is blue and anger is red. And so just to kind of complete the initial setup for the film, whenever Riley has an experience which is emotionally charged, a memory ball is generated in her mind. And so for example, if it's a joyful memory, the memory ball is yellow. And if it's an angry memory, the memory ball is red and so on and so forth. Anyways, of all the different characters in Riley's head, joy becomes the de facto leader. And she believes throughout the course of the film that the best thing to do, the best thing for Riley is to make sure that she's joyful all the time. But again, because Riley has just suffered this trauma of moving away from her beloved Minnesota, a certain disconnect arises in her heart. And so on the one hand, she wants to be joyful, especially for the sake of her parents, but at the same time, she feels sad. And so when Joy pushes Riley relentlessly to be joyful, despite what she's actually feeling, eventually she has sort of a mental breakdown. And things end up getting so bad that Joy realizes eventually that she needs to step away from the controls and allow sadness to finally come to the forefront. And so in a single dramatic moment, Riley allows herself to be sad. And what she says to her parents is, I miss Minnesota. I miss Minnesota. And at first they're shocked. They're surprised that she's being so vulnerable. But then they respond by being vulnerable in turn. And so her father responds by saying, I miss Minnesota too. And the mother says that as well. And, and they share this moment of, of feeling sad, right? And at this point, uh, the camera, the animated camera kind of zooms in on Riley's face. And in the midst of her tears, there's the beginnings of this really beautiful and, and precious smile. As a result of which this memory ball is generated. And instead of being a solid color, like, you know, yellow for joy or blue for sadness, it's two colors. It's blue and yellow. Because it's a moment of great pain and sadness where where we're calling together the loss that we've experienced, but at the same time it's a joyful memory, because in the midst of this suffering and pain, we experience God's consolation. And I suggest, friends, this is a really important point for us to take away with regards to the spiritual life. Because quite honestly, I think given the choice of being the one who helps, or being the helpy, if you will, we find it a lot easier to be the helper, because we can play to our strengths and perhaps it even feeds the ego in a sense of I'm the one who's helping and you are the one being helped. And in comparison, it's a lot harder to be the one who is the helpy, the one who is actually receiving the help of another. And that could be for a whole variety of reasons, right? So perhaps we find it kind of humiliating. Perhaps we even see it as a certain affront to our own dignity as human persons. But you know, that said, friends, the thing I want to impress upon you is that even though it's true that sometimes it is truly appropriate to do things by ourselves, at the same time, we need to allow people to help us because it's good for them. 
It's good to allow people the opportunity to love us in the way that God calls them to love us. And on top of that, when we do that, it's obviously good for us too. We're allowing ourselves to be loved in our weakness. We're allowing ourselves to be loved in our vulnerability. And when we do that, those are precious moments of spiritual consolation. Again, in the very midst of our pain, in the midst of our weakness. And for that, we are truly called to give praise to the one who is Savior, the one who is Messiah, and the one who is truly our Father in heaven. And may God bless you all.